Hey guys, thank you so much for listening into the Big Red Lily podcast. Um, real quick, um, if you are a frequent listener of the podcast, please uh, give us a like, give us a share, subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. That way we can reach you guys even more quickly. Um, we have content coming out weekly. We're so immensely grateful for you guys listening, regardless of how often or how long. Uh, again, thank you all so much. Um, it means the world to us. On this podcast, um, we have a June 26th interview with Keith Wynn, who is the deputy editor over at Card Chronicle. Um, we are immensely grateful for Keith coming on. Keith is one of the better football minds, especially regarding anything to do with Louisville football and college football, really, in general. Um, we really enjoyed this interview, and we wanted to give you guys a chance to listen to it. So please check it out, and please, whatever you do, make sure that you follow Keith, subscribe to him. You will not regret it. All right, let's switch gears a little bit here. Let's go into a little bit of Louisville football. We've got a great guest on next, uh, Keith Wynn from the Card Chronicle, deputy editor over there. Man, I appreciate you taking your time. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. I appreciate you guys having me on. For sure, for sure, man. It is. It's good to get to talk to you. Um, know you're a great mi- football mind. you got a lot of great opinions, dude. Um, let's jump right into it. Alex, will you introduce this article a little bit here? Yeah, uh, well, I was going to say, Keith, if you want to introduce the article, but uh, I just brought it up from from stalking your Twitter account all the time about football updates and analysis. But, uh, but yeah, I, I just wanted to hear your thoughts a little bit on the stadium article that came out uh, titled, What Have Power 5 Schools Accomplished in the Lifetime of 2020's Top Football Recruits? So basically, if I understand it right, all the kids were recruiting uh, for football this season this is essentially what every Power Five school has accomplished since they've been born. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting because I, I think that you know when people look at college football as a whole, you talk about blue bloods, you talk about the the big time programs, and and people you, you, they think the it, they look at the program as a whole over you know forever. Right. Uh, you see it in basketball a lot, and obviously little fans, you know, with the rivalry Kentucky, they they talk about championships that go back to before their grandparents were born, you know, and people do that in football a lot. And I think it's a really good way to look at it, to see what an 18, 17, 16 year old kid is going to be seeing. Uh, and, and when they look at a program uh, and it's really about what has happened recently, that that's what they care about. You know, these kids don't uh, care that Miami won a bunch of championships in the eighties or even, you know, the, 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 the teams with the Ed Reed and the Ray Lewis, all those guys, they, they just, they weren't even born then, and even if they were, they were they were little kids. So right, right, right. I think it's really cool, and I, I thought you know the first program, the first conference I have on there is, is the ACC, and you see what Clemson's done recently, um, and they're the best team in ACC over the last 18 years. And I don't think most people would even think that. You know, you think of the FFCs, you think of the Miamis, and I think it's really cool. I thought it was a really great way to look at it, and I really like where Louisville sits in there. You can see that, you know, over the last, you know two decades they've done pretty well um even though the conferences conferences have changed you know it still factors in they you know they, they obviously did well in the other conferences right in, and we've seen what they've done in the acc so far yeah and i i think looking at it from that perspective as well i mean i don't know how many people would have thought 
you know, Louisville only being five down on that list in, in terms of total teams in the ACC. Um, especially when you look at some of the other teams in these other conferences that, you know, in my mind, I thought have been really strong statistically, um, historically, but, but really, uh, some of these stats kind of surprise you. Well, yeah, I thought um, Utah was really interesting. You know, going after the Pac-12, they're one of the top teams out there. Um, but the Pac-12 in general is, was one of the most, like, eye-opening to me. You know, half their conference is around 50% winning percentage or lower. Um, I mean, it really is a USC, Oregon, and pretty much everybody else uh, when it comes to that conference. And I thought that was really interesting. That you, you just – it's just – I don't know. I, I just find it fascinating to look at those things and see – there are programs listed in there, listed there that you would say, well, I'm sure that recruits think these programs are great. And you really look at what they've done and no recruits are really going to pay attention to those schools because they're not who you see in the primetime games. Uh, they're not who you see putting players in the NFL. Uh, you know, like Texas is a great program to look at that factor. If you're a recruit right now, or at least over the last handful of years, right. Texas isn't going to really stick out to you if you're looking to make it to the NFL. They just don't put guys in the NFL anymore, uh, which is just crazy. Yeah. But that's just the truth of the matter. So I think that, you know, when it comes to those things, you have to take it all into account. And I think recruits do, especially more now. I mean, they have all the information and access to their hand, you know, all the time on their phone. They can look up anything they want. And when you go to a program for a visit, they can only sell you on what they've done. So right. uh, if you're going to a program and they don't have anything to talk talk about over the last five, ten years, you know, those recruits aren't really it's, – it's a harder sell for those guys. No, absolutely. And I think to your point – uh, looking at the Pac-12 on this article specifically, I would have never had Colorado pegged for last uh, with, you know, the recent success uh, they've had on the football field, and especially, uh, you know, teams like Washington uh, only being at 50.4%. Like, some of those did kind of jump out to me as well. I definitely agree. Yeah, and I think that, like, you know, the, the last handful of years matters more than anything, you know, for, especially from a recruiting standpoint, but just in general, and, and Washington's been better under, under Chris uh, Peterson, but you know, Tyrone William was there and, you know, all, all the coaches they've had over there over the years and they just really haven't done – they didn't do that well and then now they've bounced back. You know, Colorado had a little bit of bounce back and then they just had to fire the same coach that took them to one of their best seasons in recent memory, you know. So it right. really is um, – it fluctuates. And that's how college football is. Unless you're a blue blood, things things go up and down. It's just the way it goes. Uh, it's just all about being able to find a, a happy medium where – you're not getting too far down, uh, and, and most teams, that's where the struggle is, uh, and you see that in those numbers. Right, and I think just to put, you know, to bring it back kind of even specifically to Louisville, I definitely think this new staff can can use, you know, looking at these stats historically, they can definitely use this to their advantage because, like you said, recruits really only truly remember what has happened in the last really five to seven years, and there's a lot that's happened with Louisville football in that time span. Well, I think people kind of lose sight of the fact that, you know, you're recruiting 16 to 18-year-old kids. Five years ago, those, those guys didn't even care about college football. You know, they, they maybe watched it, but they didn't really look into it deeply and really care to the level that, oh, I can't believe five years ago, Louisville went to the, you know, Sugar Bowl or whatever. You're like, like they just don't care. They don't they yeah. don't even remember those things. Um, so, but it is important when you get guys on campus, and I think Scott Satterfield has been really good about this. He's been very truthful and upfront and honest about the program, and one of the things he's pointed out is that he can sell the recent success of Louisville. Um, you know, two and ten is always going to be there, yeah. but 
over the last handful of years, Louisville's done some good things that recruits could come in and say, well, yeah, okay, I can win here. I can play in big games. I can be on, on a game day game, you know, and, and I think that's really, that's really important. And I, I think you also have individual accolades that have been great. You have Gerard Holloman, you have Lamar Jackson, you have Jair Alexander. Guys have done really well um, over the last handful of years to be nationally recognized players. Uh, and, and when you bring a guy on campus, you're, you're selling your program. And if you can sell those things, that's, that's a step up among, you know, beyond a lot of other programs, let alone the programs in ACC. You know, NC State doesn't have four or five guys that you can point to. Uh, you know, Miami doesn't even have that anymore. So it, they have some things that they can really sell. Um, and I think that's been, been a plus for them so far. Keith, before we jump into 2020, I want to start with 2019. Ty Tyler, the, the graduate transfer from Marshall, commits last week. To me, that's possibly one of the biggest things that's happened since Scott Satterfield has been here outside of, you know, landing so many players in so long, or, you know, so short of a time after going so long without a commitment. To you, how important is it that they get a, a kid like him who can get after the quarterback to play right away? Oh, I think it's huge. Um, you know, I think um, – Last year, early in the season, you know, Jonathan Bernard made it pretty known. You know, I think Dave Blackford reported at first that he was going to be transferring to Florida. Uh, I think he wanted to be in Ty Grantham's system, um, and that, that made sense. But that left this next year without a true pass rusher, a proven guy. Um, and Ty Tyler is a proven pass rusher. He has pass rushing moves. That's the, that's the, that's the, that's the change from a, a guy with the potential and a guy with the experience and, and, a, and a proven, hey, I can get to the quarterback in different ways. Um, and I think that's going to be really important uh, because there's not really a guy that we know is going to be able to do that on the roster. I mean, period. Um, you know, Amante Gabon had some good plays. He has some good traits that you show that, hey, in the new system, he might be able to get there. Tavares Peterson has some has some athleticism, but no one's really been able to show it yet. Um, so I think bringing in a guy who you know can at least uh, – you know, do those things that you need to be able to pressure the quarterback uh, will be really huge. And that's, that's also something at App State, they didn't necessarily always have a great pass rush. They had guys that can uh, hurry the quarterback a little bit, but guys that couldn't really get to the quarterback. So being able to have that guy in, that, in this system where it's all about pressure and, and coverage down the field, I think it'll be a really big addition, and I agree with you. It's one of the biggest things that has happened since this staff took over. Do you think he brings a level of leadership as well with his age? Yeah, you, you know, you, you definitely need that. And I, I think that one of the things with Louisville football last year is that they just didn't have that. Um, you know, it's just it was it was a it wasn't necessarily a young team. Um, from a standpoint of guys getting on the field. I mean, once you get halfway through the season, guys that are playing, you're playing. You know, it doesn't really matter. But I think in the locker room, they had a lot of issues with who is going to, you know, be the be the vocal leader, uh, who's going to set the tone, who's going to set the example. Um, and I think they've really pushed for, pushed for that so far. They've had guys that have stepped up in the locker room, stepped up in the weight room. They had their 10-strong uh, their program, the 10 players that they, they, they choose as leaders. And I think that's important, but you also need guys that have done things on the field that have shown that they're top level players. So when they come in the locker room, guys want to look up to them. And I think Tyler's going to be that guy. Um, you, you, you know, you can't really, you can't knock a guy that, that ended up with, I think it's 21 tackles for loss and 13 and a half sacks. I mean, that, that's production no matter what. Right. And he also, if I'm remembering correctly, he scored against Louisville a couple of years ago in the game they played. So 
they, you know, it's not like he doesn't have the film, the accolades, those things guys look up to. And especially some of these younger guys coming in and coming up in the program, they need those guys to get a look to and say, this is what I want to emulate on and off the field. And I think he can do that. You transitioned from 2019 into 2020 and the, the run that this staff has been on the last couple of weeks is really unprecedented around here. You go from having three commitments, I think, on May 29th to turning around and having uh, 19, 20. I don't remember what the number is now. I've lost track. What do you think has been the biggest change in recruiting to to go from, you know, essentially building relationships to commitments just back to back to back to back? Like, what what do you kind of attribute that to for these for the coaches? And then what do you think the players are kind of, you know, getting from all of this? I think the biggest thing, and it's, it's honestly the biggest change in the entire recruiting philosophy, is that the staff is really big on seeing guys in person. Um, they got a lot of these guys on campus uh, once for, you know, a camp or, you know, one of those things or an, or an unofficial visit, and then they brought them back uh, and, and, and got them on again, and then that secured it for both sides. And I think that's important. That's the way that it, it's very different. It's not just, hey, we're going to take this guy because he wants to come. It's, hey, do we want this guy to come? You know, did we feel good in the conversations we've had? Do we feel good meeting with the parents? Uh, are they the types of people we want in this program? Um, and I think that's, that's a huge change because, I mean, Louisville, even you can just look at the class they had when um, the season started last year and going into the season. None of those kids had even visited campus, you know, other than maybe a camp, but they didn't take, they didn't take visits here. And, and you, can't, you can't recruit that way. You have to know if that guy's going to fit from a off the field standpoint, and the only way you get that is by, you know, talking to them, meeting their parents, getting some time with them, and and they just didn't do that with the last staff. This new staff is very big on evaluating guys in person, and and it's something that from my own personal standpoint, I've had to kind of change my own mind on because they've taken some guys that I had some questions on, and and I I, I don't have any problem being open about that, but when I sat back and thought about it, it's like you know these guys watch you know recruit xyz twice in person on louisville's campus met him met his family you can't get much better than that they they they've stressed that that's what they're that's what's important um and they're doing it now and i think that's the biggest change and i think when they got those guys on this run is because they're making that second visit or sometimes just making a visit in that time and that may 31st huge recruiting weekend they had was a big thing and they got those guys here and i, I think they really impressed those guys with the new stuff yeah, I mean, it just seems like in general they're not acting as if we we went two and two and ten last year. You know, I mean that that right. Or, I mean, like that it just doesn't reek of desperation. Like you think a program coming off a, a, an abysmal season would act like right. And so, Keith, tell me this: they ha they haven't even stepped onto the field yet. And a lot of times with new coaches, recruiting starts to kind of pick up when you start winning and you put out a product on the field that is better than what recruits had seen before. How much better can this class get knowing that they haven't even played yet? Yeah, that's that's the big question. Is it's it's a really exciting aspect of it from my standpoint because they they should get to twenty eight or twenty nine recruits. They're going to take more than twenty five as long as they have three or four guys who come in early. Uh, they'll be able to count towards the last class. So they'll they'll take twenty eight to twenty nine guys. So they have eight or nine spots right now. Um, and I, I'm really interested to see what their strategy is going to be. Are they going to wait to get some of those wins to build some positive, you know, feedback and some positive news for them and really look at those last spot, last spots to take during the season? Um, Cause Scott Siderfield made it 
I mean, he was abundantly clear. He wanted the class to be done before the season started. Um, and I get that, but I think that honestly, they're they're take they're they're further ahead than I think they expected to be right now. Right. Um, so I think if they can really focus on those last eight to nine spots and really look at some high level guys, I think if they're winning games, I think that's really important. And I also think getting guys like Chubba Purdy on on in in the class that that that's something that guys recognize. That, you know, recruiting is is. These guys all talk. They all know each other. They camp together. They go to rivals camps. They go to different team camps. So they talk, and these guys keep in touch. And I think that's a huge thing with how recruiting is now. So now you have a big-time recruit, one of the top quarterbacks in the country, and they're looking at two more receivers. They're looking at adding another offensive lineman. Maybe they still need tight ends. They might take a running back. These are all guys on offense that are, like, taking notice now that, whoa, i gotta make so I got to pay a little bit more attention because – Louisville's got some momentum going. They've got some good things going. Everybody I talk to has nothing but great things to say about the new staff and how how the environment is. Maybe I'll check them out. So I think they'll at least take some of those eight to nine spots and leave them open for in the season to really look at some high priority guys, the Marcus Dumavirils of the world, those four four star guys that you know are are at least still keeping them in mind. And I think they can get some of those guys. Is that kind of what landing a quarterback like Chubba Purdy does too? When when you get a guy who um, is you know number six rated in his class by two four seven, um, in, in at his position, and then additionally is, is at a, a marquee position as well, um, being a quarterback. Um, is is that something that is kind of makes you, um, makes you kind of some somebody that that other other recruits can kind of look at and be like you know that makes you kind of pay a little bit more attention as well. Well, yeah, and, I, and, and you know, I, I think about it, the quarterback position, when you can land a big-time recruit, a guy that you feel can come in and potentially play immediately. I mean, we, we saw it with Teddy Bridgewater. I don't think Purdy's on the level that Teddy was because Teddy is Teddy. But he is a guy that could really launch this program further ahead more quickly than we all expect. Because if you solidify the quarterback position, everything takes a step forward. You know, a quarterback and offensive line are period. You can do those two things. You can you can do a lot. Your program is going to be better. Your offense is going to be better. Your defense is going to going to thrive off your offense. It matters so much because it's such an important position, just like the offensive line. But yeah, it also factors in that more people want to be around good players. Um, and and I I really can't stress that enough because we saw with Lamar Jackson, you talk to re- recruits who come in and, and visit. And they didn't play – they play on defense. And they'd be like, wow, I, I, you know, it's really cool. Lamar's great. And it's like, well, why does that matter? It's because people like to be – you know, these guys like to be around other good players. Right. And and having a guy like him who also has a big personality, he's a, who's an outgoing guy, that's going to be a real big plus, I think, going forward, not just this class, but for the next couple classes. So when you look at the class, it's it's really interesting that you get a team taking two quarterbacks. Maybe maybe it's not interesting for every program, but I don't, I don't remember a time when that's ever happened here. How does that dynamic play out? You know, if you're the coach, what do you do to kind of manage two quarterbacks who both want to play different skill set? Like, how do you think that's going to work here? You know, I think a lot of it depends on how uh, the quarterback position works out this upcoming season. You know, Jawan Pass is is, is pretty obvious. He's a guy. Um, if he's the guy and everything works out and he plays well, um, I think that'll be a more interesting aspect than anything. 
because now you have, you know, Jawan, you have Evan Conley, potentially Malik Cunningham, who I think if, if things, if Jawan does well, I think Malik will be changing positions. Then you have two other guys coming in, and now you have three guys who are handpicked by the staff. They're going to have to come in and not only beat each other out, they've got to beat out Jawan Pass. Um, if he doesn't play well and it's an open competition going into the spring, you know, I, I think it'll, those guys will be here for a year. I think they'll, I think that they have made it very clear to both of those guys they're taking two quarterbacks. Uh, on, on Purdy's official visit, T. Webb was in town uh, for an unofficial. So it's not like they, they didn't, they, they're not letting these guys know what's going on. But when it comes down to it, you know, we, we know how the transfer situation is in college football now. Um, somebody's going to win that job. Somebody's going to be the, or at least the front runner or further ahead than the next guy. And, and it will probably, you know, lead to a transfer from someone. Um, but you never know. I mean, it, it still happens. You, you could still see both these guys stick around and, and wait their turn. But usually the way things go now, guys will transfer. But I think from a recruiting standpoint, I think they're upfront with these guys. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of top level talent, those guys want competition. You know, these guys don't shy away from it. So, I don't think it'll be much of an issue. Uh, I don't think that T. Webb's going to be looking around. He might take a visitor to and see if he has a better opportunity, but I don't think he's going to back down from you know a competition against another recruit. Definitely not, and that's what you should expect too. I mean, if you look at the the top teams that have been in the college football playoffs consistently, um, the Clemson's, the Alabamas, the the uh, Oklahomas, all of these teams have two quarterbacks that would probably start on any other team. Um, and then transferring transferring to to the other team as well. So um, I, I think that you know they should welcome this kind of competition. I, I don't think I, I see it as nothing but a positive to have two quarterbacks that are coming in that within the next couple of years you could see them uh, you know fighting for playing time. Well, and I think also we we tend in general because this is what recruiting rankings do. We get caught up in those rankings a lot. Um, you know, T. Webb is no slouch. You know, I, 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 my favorite thing about T. Webb is that, um, God, his name is going to escape me right now, but he's now at Miami as their office coordinator. He was the office, Dan Enos, sorry. He was the office coordinator at Alabama last year. He wanted T. Webb at Alabama. He didn't offer him, but he took six days from the time he got the job in Miami. He offered T. Webb in Miami. Um, this is a guy that got to a Tagovailoa to a, to a different level. He helped Jalen Hurts. We all saw how much better Jalen Hurts was last year than he was the year before in that limited time, but he was a much better quarterback when he got on the field last year. That's a credit to Dan Enos, and and he wanted T-Webb. So as much as the recruiting rankings matter, I'm a stars matter kind of guy, you have to take it all into account. And when a guy like Dan Enos wants your quarterback, you're, you're doing something right. So it's not that they got Chubba Purdy and another guy. They got two very high-level quarterbacks. The recruiting rankings just don't just don't show that. But you know, offers matter, the tape matters, all those things like that. And I think T. Webb is a very, very, very good quarterback, and those guys can develop under Frank Ponce and Scott Satterfield. One of the the big things with Cardinal fans the last several years has been a, a newfound worry of recruiting locally with Louisville versus Kentucky. We've seen the last couple of years the talent in the city of Louisville and the state of Kentucky has kind of gone up a level. And in that time, Kentucky is clearly winning the recruiting battle. They've come in and stolen several kids out of Louisville's backyard. Now that we're transitioning from a staff who didn't place recruiting locally as a priority on their recruiting to-dos to a staff now who wants to mend fences and build everything back up from the ground up, 
how big of a deal is it that Kentucky is winning in a class like 2020 where they're, you know, the Louisville staff's just a few months in? And how, how does that shift going forward? How, do, how does Louisville take over and kind of begin to, to win that again? Yeah, I think it just takes time. I think I think recruiting is so so different now. You know, I was I was uh, reading up a little bit this week and uh, you know looking at some things, and a lot of coaches are talking about how recruiting the process is starting much earlier now. It's not junior year we start looking at the next class and you know things like that. Guys are starting to get looks freshman year, even their eighth grade year. You know, and they're starting to get offers in. But but more than that, it's just the coaches are, are really much more involved early in the process. And then you also have the seven on seven factor. Guys are guys are traveling with their teams, they're getting exposure. You have these gyms like Aspirations Gym, which can take these guys to different places. The best way I can look at I can describe it is look back to Devontae Parker when he was a otherworldly athlete in, in high school and never got any exposure. He didn't go to camps. He didn't go to you know, whether it be the rivals camps, the all those things that we have now, they just that just wasn't a thing then. Those are extremely important parts of recruiting now. So every, everyone is getting more exposure, and that includes kids in Louisville who would not have gotten a second look years ago, are now being regional and sometimes even national recruits. I mean, Rondell Moore was a national recruit, which is just absurd when you think about. It. James Quick wasn't even a national recruit, so. Things have changed a lot, and I think that that's a huge factor, and it means that you need more time to develop those relationships because sophomore year, the top player in Louisville is getting lists from Ohio State. They're getting lists from you know Michigan. Those schools are all recruiting here. Alabama is in the state of Kentucky every year. So mm-hmm. you have to be able to get those, get in those guys earlier, and it's just going to take time for this new staff to develop those relationships. Getting in with their coaches is very important because those coaches that are really good coaches – they're factoring in, in in any kid's recruitment, so you have a you have a you have a positive there. They have you have someone on campus with that kid saying positive things about your school. That's always a plus. Um, but with UK, one thing that they did that was really smart is that they noticed that U U of L just stopped recruiting the city and they redirected Vince Morrill to to Louisville out of Ohio, and he, he kind of covers both areas now. And he's a really high level recruiter. I mean, kudos to them for doing what they did, but. Louisville's got to find a way to make sure that they're combating that. Um, I know Court Dennison is up in the Ohio area. Um, I know he recruits in, in Louisville also a little bit. That's a good guy to keep here to battle, to, to set up those battles, because that, that's what it'll be as long as UK is still winning football games, which we never know if that's actually going to be the case or not. Right, and it's interesting, too, you bring that up, Keith, because if you even look back just a couple of years ago, um, to your point, you know, you look at – a guy like Keon Wakefield, who was the fourth-ranked player in the state of Kentucky um, just, I think, three or four years ago. And then now you have a guy like Isaiah Cummings playing for the same school um, at male high school. He's he's a higher-rated higher rated player, yet he is the seventh-ranked player in, in, in the state. So, um, there, like, to your point, there's, there's definitely um, a higher level of talent and a lot more attention being paid um, to the area when you have players like John Young, Isaiah Cummings, Watkins, Minkins, um, the list goes on and on. That's crazy. I mean, and, and you look at the state of Kentucky in general. I mean, we have the number one tight end of the country, and you know, up in Coven Cup Cab, and he's going to Notre Dame. Notre Dame got Landon Barlson what a day or two ago. That's two kids from the, from out in the state. They're going to Notre Dame. Clemson is in and getting Walker Parks. Mm-hmm. 
you know, Alabama's in on Vito Tisdale down in Bowling Green. And, you know, he might end up at UK, but he's got an Alabama offer. I mean, that is just – it's just so – it's so different. I mean, it, it's just a it's, – it's crazy to think about that, that Kentucky now has, at least at that top level, guys that can go to these big programs, and now that's the battle. And, and Louisville already battles, especially on the state. They battle the fact that a lot of kids, you know, they their, their family, their parents – they don't look at Louisville in a good light, whether it be the fandom or just the big city factor. So they already have that going against them. So they really have to find a way to make sure that the city of Louisville becomes a place where when we have top talent, they're going to get them. And it's just going it, to, it, it'll take time. I think that they've gotten over the last two years, they've gotten at least four or five guys who have just flat out said, I, I've been a diehard Louisville fan my whole life, but they didn't, you know, they weren't being recruited here. And they've only been here for, what, 208 or nine days so far since Scott Satterfield got hired. That's just a really hard thing to do now when Isaiah Cummins was a top-level recruit as a freshman. That's three years that they just missed out on, and they had to make that up, and it's just not possible. So they've got to figure out a way to get on these guys early. But at the same time, they didn't offer some of those guys until they saw them in person. That is something that they feel, I think, that they feel strongly about. And as a fan base, I think that could cause some issues, but it shouldn't really cause issues down the road. But right now, I think that, you know, a guy like Jordan Watkins, he didn't get an offer until somewhat recently because they wanted to see him in person. Well, UK offered him in February, and they've been talking to him ever since. It's hard to make up that ground just because, hey, you're we're, we're your local school, especially when you went 2-10 and 10 last year. When you when you look at the 2020 class, you, you said that they're going to take about 28, 29 guys, so they've got some spots to fill. Um, and now they can begin to kind of focus more specifically on some guys that they want. To me, the top of this class is three guys that you're looking for. It's Vito Tisdale, Christian Fitzpatrick, and Marcus Dumerville. How do you think they go about trying to recruit those guys, and what are your kind of initial thoughts on if they can close the door on getting a commitment and then getting a player on campus? So I think that Christian Fitzpatrick is a super interesting guy, obviously, because his brother's there. You know, I, I think that his dad has a very has a very professional mindset when it comes to recruiting. Uh, he wants to know that whatever school his kids are going to, they're going to be a key factor in what they do. The offense fits their skills, um, and I think they're going to wait to see what this offense does. Um, he has he's he's really slow played his recruiting. He's gotten a lot of big offers and really hasn't started doing a lot of visits and things like that. So I think they're gonna they want to see what Louisville's offense is going to do, what it looks like. Um, I know there are some concerns just in general with a, a more of a pro-style, run-heavy offense. Right. Um, so I think that's a factor. But I think if they see what they like, um, I, I think that, you know, Des's dad, Christian's dad, I think he likes Louisville. I think he likes the new staff. So I think that's the big thing with him. But he's got some big offers. You know, Penn State and Oregon are, are two schools that – as a recruit, man, that's that's those are big time programs. They're fun programs to play for. So you know that's a factor there. Vito Tisdale is very a very interesting uh, prospect to me because I think he's one of those guys that will factor into the fit uh, factor whether or not he fits the new scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a safety, he's kind of a bigger guy. He might fit that position of that card spot, that outside linebacker safety hybrid but they've really kind of filled that spot with the two guys they have. So, you know, I don't know if he totally fits from a safety standpoint. I don't feel like they've been really going hard after him either. So 
you know, it, it, it's a it's an interesting aspect because, yeah, I think that he's a great talent, but they might just not want him. Um, and that's something that it, it could cause, you know, cause some issues. And I also think it's the same thing. He's the, he, they got a, they're behind on that guy. You know, he, he's been recruited by UK, Alabama, and all these other programs for a couple of years now. And this new staff's taking over, and they're going to have to make the pull that ground. And they might just say it's not worth it to waste our time on that. But I think he would be – I think I think he would fit. But I'm not one of the coaches, and, you know, obviously I don't know uh, as much on that aspect. Um, Marcus Doomerville, I know that uh, rivals uh, Dave Blackford and Mark Ennis uh, reported the other day that he's, you know, considering uh, – still considering Louisville because he likes Dwayne Ledford. Um I, I, his recruitment's also kind of interesting. He's still he's one of those guys I think will wait until the season, um, and I think he's waiting to take his officials and all of his officials at least. I think they have a very, very good chance of landing him because I think Dwayne Ledford is quite literally one of the top three offensive line coaches in the country. And when you have that, offensive linemen are different when it comes to recruiting. They want to go to a coach who is going to develop them. It's not as much about the offense. It's not as much about the team. Those guys typically focus more on their coaching because that's such a big factor. You have to have a guy that's going to develop you. And Dwayne Lefford, is, is, he's, he's, his record speaks for himself. So um, I think that'll be the guy that will be the marquee guy in this class, in my personal opinion. Uh, I, think they, I think it's just a matter of time and a matter of that relationship being developed. And I think they have a really, really good chance of getting him. Yeah, and – and just to kind of wrap up this whole interview, um, I mean, there are plenty of reasons for Louisville football fans to get excited, and obviously recruiting, um, especially even this season, is one of them. But not only for the future, but under the leadership of Scott Satterfield and the staff, I mean, looking at 2019, what what has you most excited or hopeful um, just just for the upcoming season? You know, I, I, I watched every App State game probably twice. Um, so I, I really, I broke down some film over at Car Chronicle, um, you know, and, and, and posted some gifts of different plays that I think people should be excited about, showing some features of the offense, showing, showing some features of the defense. Um, I think the most exciting thing is honestly getting it, getting back to a hard-playing, hard-nosed, fast, active team. Um, I, I, I was very frustrated with the last half of the whole moniker of Speed City and you know, all that stuff, we're going to get fast guys, we're going to play fast, and they just they just didn't. They didn't recruit fast guys, even though they would tell everyone in the sun that, hey, these guys are fast. And that alone just was just silly to me, but they didn't play fast. Nothing about what they did was fast, was aggressive, was college football in my mind. And and I think that we're going to see that. Uh, we're going to, especially on the defensive side of the ball, Brian Brown is, is a the animated defensive coordinator, kind of like a Brent Venables, not not that crazy, but, you know, yelling, jumping, excited, doing, you know, fist bumping, all that stuff like that. And that's exciting. That's fun. I, I love that aspect of college football. But on the offensive side of the ball, I think we're going to see the type of offense that we were all promised uh, when Bobby Ruccino came back. You're really going to see that under Scott Satterfield. Uh, Lamar Jackson made a lot of big plays. But the offense in general wasn't really a big play offense outside of him over the last over the three years he was here. And we really saw that in year one and we saw that in year five that they didn't have the scheme to do those things, let alone the players. So I think we're gonna see that more. You're gonna see more deep balls down the field, you're gonna see more, you know, bigger run plays. 
Uh, the special teams is going to be better. I'm really excited about them being able, from a schematic standpoint, do some of the things that I think excites uh, the fan base. And I think Louisville football fans really love big plays, and I think they're going to we're going to see those things. So that's what's exciting for me. I, I think that's really fun. And then, you know, in general, Scott Satterfield and the staff have just been a breath of fresh air. Uh, I think everybody has, has enjoyed their time so far and the way they go about doing things. And that's also fun because, you know, when you're losing games, which I think they're going to lose games next year, you know, we all expect that. Right. It's how you lose those games. Are the, you know, it, it's totally different when you lose them by 50 instead of, hey, we lost in the fourth quarter because our guys were actually playing hard all four quarters. And I think we're going to see that. I think people will be able to respect that. And I think that'll be a good thing going forward. All right, Keith, one last question here. I think one of the things we've talked about the most here as a, as a team all summer is who's kind of the player that no one's talking about that is could be in a new position or could be in just a new place to succeed this season for U L. Who's the guy that you're in the back of your mind is like, all right, he's going to take a big step forward and he's going to be kind of the, uh, the guy that becomes a star on this team? Ooh, that's a tough one. So I, I'll go offense and defense. On offense, I think the guy that's going to have a breakout year that nobody's talking about is Justin Marshall. Um, I, I I think he has been sitting the bench for God knows what reason. You've been, you're talking to us some Justin Marshall he, fans right here, man. I hate to cut you off, but we are I mean, big Justin Marshall fans. I mean, he he everything that I and I went out to the the spring showcase thing, and he was the best receiver out there. I mean, he he made the most plays. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, what? Is, why has this guy not been playing? And I, I remember as a recruit, he was a really good recruit, and I'm like, I I, I haven't been able to understand why he didn't play at all. And, you know, some guys end up in Patricio's doghouse and they never they never got out. And maybe that's the situation here. But from a leadership standpoint, you know, he's been pointing out pointed out as a guy that's leading leading in the in the weight room. Uh I think that's a huge point. But just from a talent standpoint, he looks the part. He he everything I saw out in the spring for that three or four hours I was out there, I was like, This is the guy. He's gonna have a breakout year. It's just finding a way to get on the field ahead of Seth Dawkins or or Des Fitzpatrick on the outside. But if you're playing well, you're gonna play. You're gonna get out on the field. And I think he's the guy on offense. Uh, on defense, I think the guy that's gonna. I think C.J. Avery is a guy that people know. I think we all saw the the flashes last year. I think he's gonna have a monster year. I'm talking all ACC type of year in this new scheme with his skill set and if he stays healthy. Uh, he had he had some nagging injuries last year. He missed some time, but if he can stay on the field and stay healthy, he's going to have a huge year in that middle linebacker spot for them uh, in this new scheme because he can run and he can hit and he plays with great instincts. He he was one of the guys last year that wasn't out of position all the time, which was a huge issue for that defense. He was always there, but he was the only guy there. So that's, that's the thing now. You're going to see a better defense, and I think he's going to be the guy that flourishes from that. I think he'll have a huge year. Keith, thank you, man. Appreciate your time. We could talk football with you for hours. Brother, let's have you back on the show and talk a little bit sooner. Plug the site. Season. Plug, yeah. Where Plug. can we find you, Keith? Plug the site, man. So I'm the uh, deputy ever, editor over at uh, ClarkChronicle.com. Um, I pretty much just stick to football. Uh, as obviously, Mike is, is just an unbelievable basketball writer. But if you guys are looking for any kind of football knowledge, I try to drop it as much as possible over there, and uh, I try to write as much as I can. Brother, we'll keep looking for the gifts because those things are fantastic. I love those pieces. I feel like you've taught me half the football that I know. We'll talk to you soon, man. Thank you. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks, Keith.